Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell, and today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review 1996's Tim Burton sci-fi... Huh? Mars Attacks. Why do you say, eh? Because, so, I watched this movie, and it's the first time I'd seen it since I was probably eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lot worse than I remembered. But the thing, the, the reason I go, eh, is because for a good chunk of the movie, I was sitting here being like, oh, this is such a satire. And then it occurred to me, maybe it's not. <laughs> Maybe Tim Burton okay. wasn't trying to make a satire. <laughs> or or he was, but like not as tongue in cheek, oh ho, high brow satire. Like the, the stuff that was incredibly stupid and I thought was intentionally tongue in cheek might have just been incredibly stupid. <laughs> you mean this might have just been Tim Burton being like, Yeah, sure, this is a movie. Go ahead. I, I think this might have been um, a studio coming up and being like, we'll put whatever number you want on this check, Mr. Burton, and you can do whatever you want. And Tim Burton being 90s wacky Tim Burton was like, oh, I have this card game, this this trading card series I really enjoy about these horrible little Martian monsters. I want to do that. And then the studio looks at him and then they looks at the return for Edward Scissorhands and then they look at him and then they look at the return for Batman and they go, okay. (laughs) But this is before his animation career. So it was kind of before he had fully burtoned out. Oh, we'll see. Okay. So I think we're going to talk about this. Let's get into this before we get into the movie. I... It's so interesting you say before he fully burtoned out because I think this made me realize there are two very distinct stages of Tim Burton. (laughs) Okay. Like there is on the rise Tim Burton who is that's that's very much what we're in the middle of and like. He had he, he had done Edward Scissorhands and he had done Beetlejuice and he had done the first two Batman movies and um, he had done Ed Wood, and people were just basically like, "Yeah, this guy I'm makes." Sorry. Who? Oh, I'm sorry. He he had uh, he had given Ed Wood. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will never not make this be a thing. Continue. You know what? That's fair. This is this is a Tim Burton who is like this eccentric, wacky, gothic, quirky dude but his his movies work and they they just make all the damn money and then like give him another 20-ish years and we get the stereotypical can't not cast johnny depp is like a parody of his own self (laughs) burtonified tim burton yes um the movie has other colors other than pastel and black that's how you know it's pre-burton burton Burton. and then when it's just bright as fuck colors 
or grayscale. It's normal Burton. The Burton that, you know, everyone knows about. Yeah, I would argue, like, if if it's got a, a color palette that isn't practically monochrome, there's a chance that it's, like, on-the-rise exciting Burton. And if... Mm-hmm it doesn't and Johnny Depp is in it, then it is very clearly like has become a parody of himself and deserves your like, not derision, but maybe not your admiration, (laughs) Tim Burton. (laughs) Okay. So it's interesting that we're starting here and I feel like this will segue us into the movie nicely. Sure. All of the Tim Burton movies in my experience have like a capital T thesis. They have a point behind them. They're trying to say something. And this was the first Tim Burton movie that I went, is this just, is this literally about aliens? Is this just about aliens attacking? There's no like deeper meaning than that. It's just, we're going to talk about aliens attacking the planet because they can. And the only thesis I could stick on it was, this is how humans act at the end of the world. And and yeah, so that ties immediately back into like, was it a joke or not? Because I yeah. think you can read it either way. But yeah, you're right. It's like, you know, Beetlejuice is a, a, a twisting of what a horror movie is and like turning a horror movie into the lens of a comedy movie. And about, like, family and Edward Scissorhands is about being an outsider and and finding your place and acceptance. And Batman is about Batman. And... (laughs) (laughs) But, like, like Batman spread out into a paragraph. And then Mars Attacks is about Mars attacking. Period. And that's it. We have an ensemble star-studded cast, probably the nicest, most star-studded cast we've ever had on this podcast, and none of them have a character that's anything beyond a two-sentence description. Yeah, no, very much, and most of them aren't even trying. Um, But for those of you who missed the movie, Mars Attacks is the satirical, again, question mark? A satirical story of Mars attacking the Earth and the ensemble cast of Americans that experience the devastating invasion of bulbous brain, skull face, human hating, ack, ack, Martians. Yup. <laughs> and that's it. That's all the movie's about. Yeah. Tom Jones is in there for some reason. Tom Jones either owed somebody a favor. Or really liked Edward Scissorhands. There is no in between. <laughs> like Jack, like this has Jack Nicholson. You you bring up this. Yeah. This has such an amazing cast, and I agree. Like I think pound for pound, this is probably the most big name above the marquee cast for any movie we've seen so far. And the top of the marquee is Jack Nicholson, who only did this movie because he had such a fun time being the Joker in Tim Burton's Batman. Yep. And it shows. <laughs> He's in this movie as three different humans. Who's the third? I, I recognize two. Oh, he's like some tech, like in the background. Oh, is he? He has all of one line before he dies. Yeah, he's at the launch thing. Oh, that's just so very strange. 
because you're watching it and um jack nicholson is of course the president of the united states okay i get it and then he is also randomly the las vegas casino manager dude and you're like that's weird and he's the tech at the launch when they're welcoming the aliens and that first like explosion. Oh, I totally. Oh, wait, like the ger- like the the German one who messes up the translator machine? Uh-huh. Huh. Ah, completely missed that. Which kind of makes me god forbid I have to rewatch this movie, but I'm like, is he in there more times than I just didn't notice? Is Jack Black just peppering is Jack Black somewhere in every scene? And you just have to look for him. And that's, that's the drinking game. <laughs> I mean, Jack Nicholson, but Jack Black oh, yeah, is my, also in this. My bad. I, of course, meant Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but of course, Jack Black is also in here as a internal youth baby. Oh, yeah. I, I, I assume this had to be pre-Tenacious D, Jack Black. And you, I just, I always love to see Jack Black, even if... Um, he dies horribly in this movie. Die, you alien shithead! Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, half of the cast dies horribly. Yes. By the end of it, Pierce Brosnan and Sarah Jessica Parker are just heads. Heads making out as their um, saucer explodes. Real quick, r- real real quick, getting into Jack Black. I think I mentioned at the end of the last episode that this movie, like, freaked me out and scared me as a kid. Sure. And specifically, what scared me was not the Martians themselves, but was the disintegrations. So, you know, the, the way that they would vaporize somebody and they would just bubble and boil and melt and incinerate into a colored skeleton. So I very much remember watching Jack Black, like the, the character is trying his best to be GI Joe American hero. And then just gets completely like blown away into this smoking red skeleton. And I think something (laughs) I, 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 I had to have seen the original star Wars and something in my brain was like, oh, remember Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru? Yeah, smoking skeletons are going to, like, give you a bad time, kid. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor baby Andy. So, not Akira with its its gore and, and flesh monsters and not any other movie I've mentioned seeing, like, under the age of 10 but it was Mars Attacks with its Christmas tree colored skeletons that definitely like freaked me out the most so far as a child. If it makes you feel any better, anything with aliens freaked me out as a child. Cause I was like, we don't know where they come from. We know nothing about them. Therefore I don't like it. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. That makes sense. And the fact that you could see their, so I didn't watch this when I was a kid, but the fact that you could see their heads and, or their brains and their brains were like 
on every piece of marketing for this movie sure did not sit well with me i can understand that because i mean they're they're nasty little bastards to look at every last one of them oh and in the end the fact that you can that people are walking around crunching their skull mm, no <laughs> no don't like it oh so you you didn't enjoy the moment where they hear yodeling and it makes their brains explode did not did not like it uh, i unlike that's... other people do not enjoy dr pimple popper and that was too close oh i didn't even make that connection but i i get that <laughs> See, that's one of the few parts where I'm sitting here like, okay, this movie is much worse than I remember, but it will never (laughs) not be funny to watch their brains explode because they're listening to old country yodeling. (laughs) Which, what a random demise. What a random from complete left field thing for that to be what does it. Well, and it's stuff like that that makes me sit here and go... You you had to be making a comedy, right, Tim Burton? Like, right? Like you had to have been, and that's why the characters are paper thin and very stupid and shallow. And it's like there's the bit where um, a UFO destroys the Washington Monument, and some some washington dc based cub scout unit got to go pretend a saucer was chasing them for the day like shit like that where it's like it keeps moving the the tower to try and crush the children like that that is just silly it is it is silly comedy Mm -hmm. danny devito being like this asshole gambler dude and like trying to bargain with a martian before it vaporizes him that's that's gotta be funny (laughs) so Um, i i i sit here and like i want to sit here and go no tim burton was just completely taking the piss out of disaster movies and alien invasion tropes but like i think i'm my instinct to do that is giving him a little too much leeway and credit because this does a lot of stuff that the iron giant does, but the iron giant did it so much better. Oh, you mean in terms of the nostalgia? Yeah. And just like both, I, I, you know, we, we talked at length about how the iron giant was a actual story and, and had a basis, but like, you could read the description to both of these movies on like the back of a fifties comic book in like a little blurb mm. for some pulp novel and they would scan. Sure. But Brad Bird did a much better job of like dissecting the tropes of B movies and then having a little tongue in cheek thesis statement to bring that back to your point. <laughs> Well, and it's like, okay, I want to, I want to find meaning in this. I don't think there actually is, but the thought that I had behind, okay, maybe the reason there's an ensemble cast is that it's trying to do the love actually thing. Sure. Where it points at all of these different stories of a theme of an experience, except here the theme of the experience is 
Well, the world is ending because we're getting attacked by aliens. And here is how we as humanity are dealing. Right. And and that's that tracks with me because that had become like a thing. Even even taking it away from Love Actually and Romance is like, like that's what they did with Independence Day. And it's a great ensemble cast fighting an alien inv- invasion. And now I can't remember which one came out first. But like... <laughs> They they did that with the Poseidon Adventure, and they they did that with Day After Tomorrow, which came out much later than this movie. But like that was a that is a a thing you do when like you, the world is ending and it's an apocalypse movie. You want to show all these different vantages and viewpoints. Too bad the writing is shit, though. The, yeah, the writing is very shit. I I didn't take his name, but the guy who actually wrote the, wrote the script said that Burton didn't use a word of what he wrote. No. Oh, that's sad. And I believe that because the other thing I saw was that like there could have been like 15 more named characters. Burton could have made this like twice as long and he just knew that there was no that way that was ever going to scan. But he had a lot more because this is such an easy when you approach this story in this way and you present it in a, in a macro setting of the entire United States you can do that and you can just throw in everybody's perspective because they're all going to have the same story they're 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 intrigued by aliens and then they're running away and terrified and probably dying mm-hmm. which an Another thing, the aliens are all saying, we're coming here peacefully, and then they blow everyone up, so. <laughs> I think that's another, I, I think that's supposed to be another thing of comedy. You know, you, you wrote down, why do they keep saying they come in peace? And my answer to that is, look at them. They are, <laughs> they are the most evil looking alien, sort of like a xenomorph. They are the sure. most at a glance, yeah, those those things don't come in peace. <laughs> they're they're giant skull-faced monsters that scream at each other. <laughs> they're these mean little bastards who just like invade earth for the lulls, literally, cuz they, you know, torture people and perform science experiments and then laugh at everything. Is that the motivation behind them? I kept spending the whole movie going, "But what is your motivation?" like I have no idea. I have no idea or understanding of that. Well, right, and I don't think they ever explicitly say it, but I know that um, I know right before he dies, President Jack Nicholson kind of asks them the same thing, um, and of course they they can't answer. But I very much do get a sense that like they're they're just evil. They're just wicked and mean and these cruel beings that are doing it because why not and and don't even have anything deeper than that because this isn't the kind of movie that can go into any more depth yeah the most depth we ever get is jim brown and pam greer as like this separated couple trying to make it work for the kids which kind of worked like that was the story i was probably rooting for the most oh sure yeah but even then they're certainly trying the the their hardest and and if this movie got remade 
I would say it needs to be a mini series so you can do all the things you want to do. But like, if you weren't going to do that, the one story to focus on would be Jim Brown and Pam Greer, like just trying to make it work. Cause first of all, did you think, did you think it was a little odd to have like, Oh, that's Jim Brown. Holy shit. Um, I didn't recognize the actor, so I probably didn't have that experience. Oh, that is fair. Um, so, so if anyone's seen one one night in Miami, and I know you have, that Jim Brown, the greatest NFL player of all time, turned actor Jim Brown. Oh, holy shit! What in like in like his last big role? So. Oh, okay. Yeah, not to put too fine a point on it, because like, like you said, you, you it, it didn't, I only caught it because like, after seeing One Night in Miami, I was like, you know what, you kind of kick ass Jim Brown, even though he was played me, by not Jim Brown. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But understandably you got interested in the person and researched him and absolutely i think i was too distracted by sam cook being a thing that's fair but well and i think the other thing is i swear to god it was ving rames in this movie and it's not it's jim brown so watching it this time i was like oh holy shit jim brown fair enough but i i think that's the one we we hook on to the most as viewers because it's like they're the ones who are already fighting for something at the beginning that isn't just like America fuck yeah because it yeah. does kind of seem like the rest of the ensemble cast is coming from like a we do this for America for the greater good and Jim Brown's like listen I'm just trying to get back to my estranged wife and kids it's me fire and wind heavyweight champion yeah they're they're really kind of the heart and soul of the movie everyone else is either pathetically shallow or just like selfish because like even even you know you look at michael fox and sarah jessica parker and pierce brosnan which by the way uh you mentioned it before but returning to cult fiction sarah jessica parker um, yeah. who after watching this between this Ed Wood, which we haven't seen for the show, but I've watched before and, um, Hocus Pocus, which I think was the last episode. Um, between those movies, I think I'm at a point where I can say I get it. And I like Sarah, Je- Sarah Jessica Parker pre sex in the city. Mm-hmm. But like, none of those characters are bad. They're just selfish and like in it for themselves. And Pierce Brosnan is this total idiot scientist, you know, playing on the trope of, you know, in, in the 1950s movie in the plan nine for out of space version of this, he's the brave and dashing scientist who has all the answers and gets the girl in the end instead of, Mm gets removed from his body and then dies horribly. But he dies making out with the girl that he wanted to get. So, you know. And I got to tell you that moment, um, Sarah Jessica Parker and Pierce Brosnan's head romance 
is the single biggest thing that I remembered from this movie. So I guess it worked. <laughs> Perfect. That was just, that was the cream of the crop of the, oh yes, this is the Burtoniest moment. That and hooker alien robot bait. Which speaking of, I, I very much enjoyed her. I want to talk about her later, but like that whole sequence is probably the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause you've got Lisa Marie playing alien hooker spy. And then the pathetically horny Martin short, just like trying to hit on her and break all this federal procedure to show her the sex suite of the white house. I'm sorry. You're right. We are being disrespectful to alien alien robot bait let's call her alien sex worker let's let's use the right term and be pc but uh oh my god it's probably the only good part of the movie because it's the only part that has a like in uninterrupted plot yes because it's it's the very obviously a fucking alien like sneaking around and doing the weird fast walk thing to get up close behind him. And there's actual tension and intrigue about when is this idiot press secretary going to get got. And then he does. And it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you made me think of something real quick. Speaking of PC, do we want to talk about the ways this movie is not? Um, the fact that there's an R word dropped in the first 10 minutes. There's an R word dropped in the first 10 minutes, which, yeah, between this and From Dust Till Dawn, like, it's becoming more and more clear that just, like, mid-90s, that was a a word you could throw into a script and nobody would really bat an eyelash. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell if the opening minute is racist or not because it's a farmer going up to his his neighbor who is a Chinese American man and then being like, is it Chinese New Year? It smells like you got a barbecue. Mm, that's one way to get Carl's Jr. set all the cows on fire. And then just run them through a river of delicious sauce. <laughs> Carl's Jr., where your mouth will feel like it's being taken over. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure they could use us at this point. I think we just need to start sending them these episodes and actually get a piece of this. The other thing I noticed is, uh, do you want to take a, do you remember who the very first character to die is? Is it a black dude or a woman who just had sex? It is a black dude. It is the the lone cool. black general in the uh, in the United States military in the universe of this movie. Speaking of lack of representation, one, that's terrible. Two, did you at all look around the room when they did shots of Congress? Um, not not as much as I think you probably did. It's all white dudes. Not a single woman, not a single person of color, not a single person under 35, which, you know, depending on which House of Congress makes sense. But... At the same time, it's just all old white dudes. And I was like, their Congress and our Congress look a little bit different, but kind of the same. (laughs) You're right. That makes me wonder if this is supposed to actually take place in 1996. 
I suppose it is. There's an arcade. Yeah, they were just being lazy. <laughs> yeah, they were just setting it in the time that they were. Yeah, you know. Tim Burton, maybe, maybe Tim Burton was like, uh, if I put a woman of color in this, then I have to kill her. And I'm not going to do that. Maybe that was his line. I don't think so, because he then proceeded to make sure that the fl- first kill in his movie was a black person. Uh, that's very fair and true. So, yeah, I'm just, so. I think I'm going to stop trying to defend Tim Burton. <laughs> I think that's a wise-ass choice. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. Very, very 90s. Very 90s. The other thing, this this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I can't say it aged well. Um, to have a moment where two black boys from the inner city save the president of the United States... Yeah, on its yeah on its face, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, certainly post Trump, you can't you you can't see that one and go, oh, it was a different time. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, remember speaking of the Trump presidency? Remember during COVID, how we all discovered that aliens were like maybe a real thing? Oh yeah, yeah. There there was a hundred percent a night where people were like, yeah, those are. Those, those basically have to be UFOs. And um, it was in the middle of COVID and the Trump presidency. And so we all just went, huh. Well, I've got bigger shit to deal with and worry about in my mind. Well, and there were also pieces of art just like randomly appearing in deserts. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. The freaking little monoliths that... Um, yes. I think they determined that that was a video game company trying to like go viral for shut. its marketing shut up no, I, it wasn't. I, really? I think so i don't quite remember but i'm pretty sure I, I, that they were maybe it wasn't a video game company but it was somebody trying to just go viral i quit everything i quit my cushy agency job i'm gonna go start working for whatever video game company that is because that's Genius. Don't. I guarantee you they'll make you work 60 hours a week and it'll be crunch culture and it'll be bad Anyway, aliens. Aliens and and bad characters and um, the final on-screen film appearance of Michael J. Fox, which I thought was interesting just because, like, I had gotten to a place where I forgot that Michael J. Fox, like, stopped acting in movies. And in fairness, he, he still does, like, TV and voice acting, but... This was the last movie before his Parkinson's got to the point where he was like, yeah, I don't want to make movies anymore. And he doesn't even have that good of a role. Like, that's very much one of the things where he's like, he's a shitty, shallow character and he dies in the opening, like, half of the movie. Yeah. Well, I don't understand his and Sarah Jessica Parker's relationship anyways. They're they're bigwig TV personalities. and, And that's how a power couple works, where... One is clearly only like invested in his own power trip and the other one's kind of an airhead. And as I'm talking this out, it's making more sense to me. So, but she, 
Sarah Jessica Parker is all too happy to meet Pierce Brosnan's character and fall head over heels in love with him. So clearly there's not much going on in their relationship. No, absolutely. That that did seem like kind of the point where there, there wasn't much to go there anyway. And then he got everything except for his hand vaporized. So... And and then she got her head swapped with her little chihuahua, which that part was also like fucking scary as a kid, just because I was like, oh, that's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> that's not natural. Which is, uh, a, a, you know what? That's probably one of the first signs that that would be a, a horror trigger for me. <laughs> so. <laughs> Goodbye, my darling. I wish things could have been different. Oh, Andy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but you know what? We've kind of shit on this movie a bit. What did, what did you like? Was there anything you liked? Or was this just a bad time? I like Tom Jones. I like Tom Jones, too. I like that that was his actual band. And it's very silly that Tom Jones is just in the movie all of a sudden and then integral to the safety of... Half of the main characters. <laughs> Speaking of main characters, now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, now that I've got the juices running, I really appreciated Richie and his like realization of, oh, my grandmother is the only person in my family that I really care about, and no one else seems to care about her. I'm gonna go hang out with her when the world is ending. Oh, she accidentally discovers how to kill the aliens. Cool. I'm gonna go help kill all the rest of these aliens. Yes, that that is very, um, I, I very much am here for that point. I was so much more like, oh, he's the real hero of the movie when I was a kid, which I'm sure is what they were going for. Um, mm-hmm. But it is nice for him to realize that his family is kind of trash and go defend his poor sweet grandma. And then they mm-hmm. deus ex machina their way into saving humanity. <laughs> which which that leads me into i i do like um the very ending where natalie portman is bestowing awards on them and she very clearly doesn't care and like there's no humanity to like watch them and clap anyway it's just like yeah here you go here, here's a medal Here's a medal. My parents aren't here to do it, so I might as well do this shit. This is this is how that works, right? <laughs> I'm the daughter of the president and everyone else is dead, so I'm at the top of the line now. I guess I'm president now. Who's to say I have a dumb first name? I have a dumb first name and I didn't seem to actually care about anything in this entire movie. But that's okay. This will be good prep for when I immediately go play Queen Amidala in Star Wars. Fair enough. Um, I do like the alien stupid little Speedos. (laughs) And that they're as naked as possible unless they're wearing a really extravagant like Liberace cape. (laughs) Or, you know, they're alien spacesuits. Go ahead. Well, no, that brings to mind, like, they're wearing Speedos so that Tim Burton doesn't have to imagine Martian junk, right? You know, that's probably the only answer, but I also guarantee you he did because he's Tim Burton. Uh, 
And like he was like, this doesn't need to make it in the movie. I'm never even going to try to put this in the movie, but I need to know. He has a secret closet in his house somewhere that's just like collections of all of his characters made out of clay, completely naked. I mean, that tracks. That's why he kept casting Johnny Depp. I meant Jack Skellington, you perv. Well, that one's really interesting because that's just a skeleton. I refuse to leave. I, I refuse to live in a world where Jack Skellington has a penis. Good night, everybody. <laughs> it's been fun. Uh, I am uncomfortable with the energy we have created in the studio today. Sure, I get it. <laughs> Well, this will be this will be a segue that also ties it back. One of the other only other things I can say that I like is the the final moments of the ending are objectively stupid. Like okay. it's it's the um all the shuttles start crashing and humanity is saved and the last thing you see is Tom Jones and the two uh women he got out of Vegas with and a bunch of animals and the animals start bopping their heads to it's not unusual and then cut to black. That is objectively just dumb (laughs) and silly and nonsensical for an ending. But I'd like to think because this is just how it has to go. 30 seconds after the credits roll, Tom Jones is having a survivor's threesome with those two women. Like there's no way that's not happening. Oh yeah. It's Tom Jones. It's 90s Tom Jones. It would not be unusual. Hey, hey Hey! <laughs> that was a good one. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Oh, you're getting paid? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> With your love and attention, Andy. Duh. Ah, fair enough. Um. <clears throat> There was a lot that sucked about this movie. Was there anything that was good enough for us to award Oscars? I think so. I, I've got a cup. I've got at least one thing. Okay, shoot. We we talked about it a little bit. Um, I would like to give Mars Attacks the Oscar for tightest costume to Lisa Marie, who is our Martian sex worker. Because okay. the thing is, you, you look at that costume and it's very, like the, the whole presentation of the character is very interesting, very clearly a Martian wearing human clothes and, a, and, and like a human face and stuff. That costume is so skin tight. And that's because literally there was no way in or out of it. And every day while she was filming that part, Lisa Marie had to be sewn into the dress. Oh my God. Dedication. Very much dedication. And like, I think that is commendable. And that goes into why I think that's the best part of the movie, because knowing that I appreciate her, her weird little walk all the more. And like, just all of her choices, knowing that like, She's stuck in there. There's no getting out of that costume. If she has to go to the bathroom, it's going to cut. It's going to take like a half hour. That's so intense. So 
I think that is my very well-deserved Oscar. What did you have? Very well-deserved. My Oscar is also very well-deserved. My Oscar goes to Glenn Close (laughs) as the best movie first lady. Because Glenn Close did not have to do this. Glenn Close had better things to do with her time. But here she is. Oh, I got to look up real, real fast, real quick. I I have to know this now. Hold on. Okay. Glenn Close was immediately on the other side of playing Cruella de Vil. No, she absolutely did not have to do this. You're right. (laughs) she was like well i was just in one movie where i played a psychopath who wants to murder dogs perfect i'll be the first lady now i'll be the incredibly shallow only in it for the uh knowing that that's the silverware that mary lincoln used and that's the the jackie kennedy crystal ballroom and oh now it's killed me (laughs) (laughs) and yet somehow a better first lady than melania oh weird it's like that takes no effort at all oh you know um i agree with that i i agree that that is a excellent uh oscar and and glenn close was delightful in how committed she was to playing an awful character Mm -hmm. (laughs) so excellent um one of the other things we try to do every episode is give a quote and you you and i talked beforehand and and, and you were saying this was so bad that you didn't have one right i i could not that's fair could not come up with one that's very fair did you well i've got one just because it legitimately made me laugh out loud and it's completely contextual um we mentioned that the first character to the first character to die is the only black general in this version of the world's u.s military and there's a moment when he's driving out into the desert where he's on the phone and he tells presumably his wife see i told you if i just kept my head down and stayed in place good things were bound to happen i didn't catch that that is funny as hell on its face and then even funnier when you know that half an hour later in real time he is well dead (laughs) so oh that's some dark dark humor there mr burton that's the only kind i think he is actually capable of giving (laughs) fair Well, so I want to ask you, um, is this cult? Uh, I, 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 yes, I have to say yes, because it's one of those movies that I feel like so many people see and reference and it's quotable for all intents and purposes and it's really bad it's 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 really really bad it is quite bad like it is i was surprised how much worse of a movie than i thought this was it actually turned out to be but yeah it's iconic in 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 a small way um the martian design i like you mentioned it earlier like I think that's what everybody in media associates with this movie and for good reason. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's cheesy and it was a complete bomb. 
um, which probably had nothing to do with the fact that it came out uh, during Christmas. Yikes, that's bad timing for this. Apparently that's why the skeletons were red and green. Really? Like Tim Burton was like, yeah, they need to be Christmas colors. (laughs) Which I respect that he had an answer. (laughs) Bless his sweet little heart. Oh, absolutely. No, this is a very silly, dumb movie. And yet probably the cult of Tim Burton... Maybe not now, but certainly like 10 years ago, I think was strong enough that this movie still had a dedicated fan base. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we often say, just because it's cult, that doesn't mean we have to like it. I would say that this movie is maybe the most cult thing Tim Burton's ever done because this movie subverts the hot topic goth vibe that like Mm. he's so well known for which that that was cult for such a long time and then it just became like part of the collective unconscious so so speaking of collective unconscious it's really easy to do kevin bacon for this movie (laughs) it's almost unconscious it's really easy It's, it's a gift. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you take one look at the, uh, the cast and any true bacon, baconite, bacon ever. Bacon, baconite. Bacon bit. Oh, I like that. Any true bacon bit will know. That, of course, this movie can be done in one. Um, Every episode we try to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, of course. And this one is basically a gimme. Because as I'm sure you're aware, Stephanie. Yes. Kevin Bacon was in... A Few Good Men. Yes. (laughs) I wanted to just make absolutely sure... There's two. There's two ways you can do this in one. Oh, what's the second? Okay, because... Oh, yeah, okay. Kevin Bacon was in A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson, of course. And and after that, I shut my brain off. What's the other one? Well, what is Kevin Bacon known for, Andy? Footloose. Who's in Footloose, Andy? Oh, uh, yeah, that is Sarah Jessica Parker, isn't it? Well... Now I feel like you still deserve a point. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Which is to say Alex deserves a point. As per usual. Well, I'll give it to him. The the man knows Footloose better than any of us ever will. Lordy does he. It's a treat to watch it with him in person. Maybe that's what our live show will be. Just us watching Alex watch Footloose. Us watching Alex watch Footloose. And then... Us watching Alex watch the remake of Footloose. Where we tie him down in a chair and put him in one of those clockwork orange machines where, like, he can't close his eyes. Exactly. And it'll just be an hour-long live stream of him screaming. (laughs) Perfect. Excellent. I don't at all love this idea. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Well, 
with that, I think there's nothing left to do but find out if on the next episode we're going to wind up torturing your husband in some way, shape, or form. Or whether or not yes. we'll just be torturing ourselves. Because let's pick a movie. Yeah, let's go for it. So I added one or two things. Um, every episode, we uh, pick our next movie by uh, putting our hands in the fate of the Hollywood crypt through the application of a random number generator. So we have 292 movies on the list because I realized it had been a minute since I accounted for any movies that came out in the past couple of years that are immediately and undoubtedly cult. And out of that, the next movie we have is 169. Nice. <laughs> nice. 169 keeps us in the 90s, assuming we can find it. On next time on Cult Fiction, we are going to be watching Beavis and Butthead do America. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, you refuse. No. I could roll again and it. it could be Anaconda. No, I'll do it because I said I would. I said I'd watch every single one of these movies with you, but I am very upset with you and very displeased. <laughs> well, I'll take that. That's that's very deserved. Where can we watch Beavis and Butthead do America, Andy? It looks like at time of recording, Beavis and Butthead do America, which is the only way we can call this. It's not just Beavis and Butthead because that was the TV show. Uh, Beavis and Butthead do America is available on Amazon Prime, DirecTV, Google Play, iTunes, Paramount Plus, and Vudu. Yes. I mean, that's fair. I... I remember 30 seconds of this movie and <laughs> they're not good. Oh, well, it's that's been a... all for this edition of cult fiction. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to keep up, you can follow us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We also tweet at cult fiction cast. That's it for now. But join us next time as we... I'm not going to do the obvious joke. I'm just going to say, as we enjoy the first animated film we've watched in a, in a minute. As enjoy is a strong word. <laughs> as we take in Mike Judge's Beavis and Butthead Do America. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Hey, hey.